Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm the Slytherin co-host, Katie, and the Gryffin horror co-host is Ellen. What did you say? I said the Gryffindor co-host is Ellen. Uh-huh. I'm the Gryffindor co-host, Ellen, and the Slytherin co-host is Katie. Wait, what? You heard me Slytherin. Gryffin whore. Love you. Love you back. But let's just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we discussed Chapter 13, Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw, and the fact that it didn't really have any corresponding film scenes. Quidditch? What's Quidditch? Ron wrestled with Hermione over the fate of his missing rat. The school wrestled over who will get to ride Harry's newly released jinx-free sports stick. Oliver Wood wrestled with his desire to win and his concern for human life. Draco wrestled with Harry in a game of wits but was completely unarmed. Percy wrestled with his hair. Crazy Gary Oldman wrestled with curtains for the first time but certainly not the last. McGonagall was ready to wrestle with anyone who woke her up, and Sir Cadogan wrestled himself because he's batshit crazy. During episode 52, All Cheek and No Bleak, our Potter pondering was about a bonus feature interview on the Prisoner of Azkaban Blu-ray, where it said that Alfonso Cuaron included details in the film that foreshadowed things that hadn't been told or hadn't even been written yet. We asked, what do you think some of these things might have been? Max said he always found Arthur Weasley's vague confession to Harry about Sirius coming to find him to be foreshadowing. If you watch it back, it completely matches with Sirius's story and what would eventually become the prophecy in Order of the Phoenix. Carly said that with Ron and Hermione, she specifically remembers watching those bonus features and being like, no way. (laughs) Quincy says he doesn't know, but it seems a little funny how he wants to add some foreshadowing and cut out a lot of major parts. I'm sure he probably foreshadowed, like, Tom Riddle's origin or something like that. Or maybe the Battle of Hogwarts. But I'm still sore about Quidditch being cut. Diana thinks that the comment Lupin made about Lily when he said not only was she a singularly gifted witch, she was also an uncommonly kind woman. She had a way of seeing the beauty in others even, and perhaps most especially, when that person couldn't see it in themselves. Could partly foreshadow her friendship with Snape. Dave says he's not sure what those things would be, but if he hadn't been told it yet, how could he have known what to foreshadow? Does he have the eye? Inner sight? Does he know the future? He must be a wizard. I would totally buy that Alfonso Curon is a wizard. I would totally want to study wizardry from Alfonso Curon, so yeah. For sure, it's he's got movie wizardry. Mm-hmm. Facts. Thank you all for sharing your thoughts with us. I found a really interesting article about the interview that I'll share on our Facebook page so you can read more theories about what Alfonso Curon included that wasn't yet written. Yeah, the reader comments at the end are actually just as interesting, if not more interesting than the article itself. I think so, too. Our trivia question last week was, how do they persuade the fat lady to return to her job at the Gryffindor portrait hole? She refuses to return without extra protection, So they hire some security trolls to guard her. And they all stand around and compare the size of their clubs. 
Hashtag size does matter. <laughs> Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller. Woo, Jackson. Could this be the start of a new streak? Maybe. Hmm. Since this episode dropped earlier than our previous episodes, we might have more people around for the competition, so we shall see. I can't wait. <laughs> right? For now, let's just keep rolling into Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge and the corresponding film scenes. Chapter 14, Snape's Grudge Everyone stays awake in the Gryffindor common room that night to hear at dawn from Professor McGonagall that Sirius Black has escaped again. Sir Cadogan is fired and moved back to the seventh floor, and the fat lady has been restored and returned, with security trolls for protection. Professor Flitwick teaches the front doors to recognize a picture of Sirius Black, but the statue of the one-eyed witch remains unguarded. Ron assures Harry that they don't need to tell anyone about the secret passage, since they would have heard if Honeydukes had been broken into. After many retellings of his brush with Sirius Black, he asks Harry why Sirius didn't finish him off before murdering Harry. Harry assumes it would have been too difficult to escape the castle after Ron yelled and woke people up. Neville receives multiple punishments from McGonagall, including being banned from future Hogsmeade visits, but these pale in comparison to the howler sent by his grandmother. Harry receives a letter as well, an invitation for him and Ron to join Hagrid for tea that evening. They meet up with Hagrid and Ron assumes that he wants to hear the story of what happened Saturday night, but Hagrid already knows all about that. He leads them to his cabin where Buckbeak is eating a large plate of dead ferrets. Harry is put off by the sight and turns to see something almost as awful, a hairy brown suit and horrible yellow and orange tie. Hagrid explains that they're for Buckbeak's hearing with the Committee for the Disposal of Magical Creatures, leaving Harry and Ron feeling guilty for having forgotten that Buckbeak's trial was so near and their promise to help prepare his defense. After offering tea and biscuits, Hagrid opens up the subject of Hermione to the boys, expressing his concern for her. Since Harry and Ron were spending a lot of time not talking to her, she'd been visiting Hagrid often and he was concerned that she had bitten off more than she could chew with her school workload, while still finding time to help him with the defense for Buckbeak. Hagrid understands that the boys have been busy, but tells them that Hermione has her heart in the right place and that people can be stupid about their pets. When Harry and Ron are back in the common room, they see a notice for a Hogsmeade trip and are discussing the Honeyduke's passage when they are interrupted by Hermione, who's concealed behind a wall of books. She threatens to tell McGonagall about the Marauder's Map if Harry goes into Hogsmeade again and questions how Ron could let Harry go with him after what almost happened when Sirius broke into the castle. Ron retorts by accusing Hermione of trying to get Harry expelled. Before Hermione has a chance to speak, Crookshanks jumps in her lap, and seeing the look on Ron's face, she takes her cat and hurries back to the girl's dormitory. After she leaves, Harry says that he will come to Hogsmeade, but he's going to bring his invisibility cloak this time. Saturday arrives, and Harry makes a show of saying goodbye to Ron before he hurries to the One-Eyed Witch. He checks the map before making his way into the tunnel and sees that Neville is approaching. Before Harry has a chance to get down the chute, Neville sees him and seems happy to not be the only one not in Hogsmeade until Professor Snape finds them in the hall. Snape tells Harry that he's often in unexpected places, usually not for no reason, and tells the boys they should return to Gryffindor Tower, where they belong. As they walk away, Harry looks back to see Snape examining the statue. Harry is able to slip away from Neville by telling him the password, then checks the map to see Snape's dot back in his office, 
and makes his way down the chute and onto Honeydukes. When Harry meets Ron, they head off on a tour of Hogsmeade. Harry sees the hundreds of owls at the post office before they head to Zonko's, where Harry has to be especially careful not to cause panic under the invisibility cloak. After making their purchases, Ron and Harry walk through the town to visit the Shrieking Shack, Britain's most haunted dwelling. Ron tells Harry that the Hogwarts ghosts avoid the shack and the entrances are all sealed. Harry is hot after their walk and debates taking off the cloak when they hear voices approaching. Draco, Crabbe, and Goyle appear a moment later. Draco is talking about Buckbeak's hearing when he sees Ron and begins mocking him, then turns the topic back to Hagrid. Harry is furious and under the protection of his cloak scares the three Slytherins by pretending to be a ghost. Harry's cloak slips for a moment, revealing his floating head, which sends the trio running. Harry rushes back to the castle, worried that he will not be back before Malfoy has a chance to tell one of the teachers that Harry had been in Hogsmeade. Just as Harry exits and seals the statue, Snape corners him and brings him to his office, revealing Malfoy's account of what happened by the Shrieking Shack. Harry vows that he's been in Gryffindor Tower, and Snape responds by comparing Harry to his father, calling him arrogant and seemingly above the rules when Harry tells him to shut up. Harry yells that Snape wouldn't even be alive without his father, and Snape tells him that he would never have been in danger if James and his friends hadn't played a terrible joke on him. Snape forces Harry to empty his pockets, revealing the Zonko's bag and a blank Marauder's map. When Snape tries to reveal what's on the parchment, he's met with insults from Mooney, Prongs, Padfoot, and Wormtail. Furious, Snape summons Lupin through his fireplace and presents him with the parchment, saying it's clearly full of dark magic. Lupin says it must be a gag, but Snape believes Lupin knows better where it could have come from. While Lupin is insisting it's a Zonko's product, Ron bursts into Snape's office, proclaiming exactly that. Harry and Ron are escorted out of Snape's office by Professor Lupin, who has kept the map from Snape. Before Harry can say anything, Lupin makes it very clear that he knows what the map is and who the map makers were. He chastises Harry for not taking his safety seriously and tells him that he is poorly repaying his parents' sacrifice. Feeling thoroughly awful, Ron and Harry head back to the Gryffindor common room where they are met by a visibly upset Hermione. Ron angrily asks if she's there to gloat or tell on them, and lip quivering, Hermione tells them that Hagrid lost his case and Buckbeak is going to be executed. The movie scene begins on a large rock skipping across the lake as Hermione asks Hagrid how the hearing went. The camera cuts to Hagrid wearing a hairy brown suit and a tan tie with orange stripes and yellow polka dots. Harry is sitting on a rock in the background, with Hermione and Ron standing off in the distance. Hagrid tells him that the committee members took turns talking about why they were all there. Then he shared how Buckbeak was a good hippogriff and always cleaned his feathers. But then Lucius Malfoy took his turn and convinced the committee that Buckbeak was deadly and dangerous and asked for the worst. Ron is worried that they are going to sack Hagrid, but Hagrid continues to throw rocks into the lake and tells them that he's not been sacked. He bursts into tears and wails that Buckbeak has been sentenced to death. The camera focuses on Hagrid's face before cutting behind him and the trio and zooming out. The scene changes and the camera pans around sections of the castle before showing Harry sitting up in bed reading the Marauder's Map and eating a biscuit by Wandlight. He's startled and looks up when Ron whimpers and wakes up saying spiders want him to tap dance. Harry says for Ron to tell those spiders and Ron immediately goes back to sleep. Harry returns to looking at the map and sees that Argus Filch is walking down a corridor. He flips a couple more sections of the map and starts to take a bite of his biscuit, but stops, noticing some footprints that are labeled Peter Pettigrew. 
Harry remembers what he overheard about Pettigrew as Madame Rosmerta, Professor McGonagall, and the minister's voices are heard in voiceover. Harry steps out of bed into his shoes, and the scene transitions to Harry walking the corridor, holding the map and his lit wand. A painting tells him to put that light out, and Harry apologizes before looking back at the map to try to find Pettigrew. The map shows that he is walking straight towards him, but when Harry holds out his wand, he can't see anyone. The footprints get closer and closer to him, without Harry seeing anyone, and then they walk right around him, as Harry turns to the side and jumps, startled by his reflection in a mirror. He frantically flashes his wand, looking around, as Pettigrew's footprints disappear around the corner on the map. A couple more paintings scold him for the light, and Harry looks back at the map just in time to see Severus Snape coming up behind him. He quickly says, Mischief Managed, to clear the map, and knocks to put out the wand. Snape lights his own wand, shines it right in Harry's face, and asks him what he's doing wandering the corridors at night. Harry says that he is sleepwalking, and Snape responds by telling him that he was extraordinarily like his father. He says that he too was exceedingly arrogant, strutting about the castle. Harry insists that his dad didn't strut, and neither does he. He also tells Snape that he'd appreciate it if he would lower his wand. Snape lowers the wand and asks Harry to turn out his pockets. Harry pulls out the blank Marauder's map from his hoodie pouch, and Snape asks what it is. Harry calls it a spare bit of parchment, and Snape tells him to open it. When he does, Snape touches his wand to it and tells it to reveal its secrets. Writing begins to appear on the map, and Snape demands that he read it out to him. Harry reads, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs offer their compliments to Professor Snape and request that he keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Snape begins to call Harry insolent, but is interrupted by Professor Lupin. Snape acknowledges him and asks if he's out for a stroll in the moonlight. Lupin walks past him and asks Harry if he is all right, but Snape says that remains to be seen and snatches the map out of Harry's hand. He tells Lupin to take a look at the rather curious artifact that he has just now confiscated from Potter. He says it's clearly full of dark magic. Lupin looks at it and says that he seriously doubts it. It looks as though it's a parchment designed to insult anyone who tries to read it. He chuckles and looks at Harry, adding that he suspects it's a Zonko product. Snape tries to take it back, but Lupin moves it away from him, saying he will investigate any hidden qualities it may possess, as it is his area of expertise. He asks Harry to go with him and bids Snape good night. Snape watches the two of them leave until a painting tells him to put that light out, and he turns to walk away. The scene fades to black as he extinguishes his wand with a flourish. Cutting to Harry and Lupin entering the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom, Lupin invites Harry in. He tells him that he hasn't the faintest idea how the map came into his possession, and that he is astounded that he didn't hand it in. He tells Harry that if Sirius got his hands on that map, he would easily be able to get to him, and reminds him that his parents gave their lives to protect Harry. Gambling their sacrifice by wandering around the castle unprotected is a poor way to repay them. Harry looks humbled as Lupin tells him that he won't cover for him again, and instructs him to return to his dormitory and stay there, telling him not to take any detours. He taps the map and tells him that he shall know if he does. Harry starts to walk away but hesitates before he gets to the door. He turns back and tells Lupin that he doesn't think the map always works, because earlier it showed someone in the castle that he knows to be dead. Lupin asks who might that be, and Harry says Peter Pettigrew. 
With a look of disbelief, Lupin says, that's not possible. Harry shrugs and says, it's just what he saw. He says goodnight as he exits the classroom, leaving a stunned Lupin with the Marauder's map. So, this section of the book and movie was pretty interesting to compare and contrast because it manages to get a lot of the same information across, but basically all in completely different ways. Yeah, there are definitely quite a few parallels, but the book and movie scenes even start out completely differently. Yeah, the book starts out with all of the Gryffindors waiting up the rest of the night to find out if Sirius Black was captured. At dawn, they learn from Professor McGonagall that he escaped yet again. Since the movie omitted every bit of Sirius Black getting into Gryffindor Tower, they obviously couldn't show the aftermath of the break-in. Yeah, this is when Professor Flitwick taught the front doors to recognize a picture of Sirius Black, like I mentioned last week. Mm -hmm. And Filch basically boards up every single nook and cranny, and Sir Cadogan was fired. Also moot to show in the movie, since they deleted all his scenes and he was never actually hired. Yeah. The Fat Lady is restored, maybe by painter Filch, maybe not. <laughs> but regardless of who fixed her portrait and how, she agrees to return to guarding the Gryffindor Tower if she's provided with some extra protection. So Hogwarts hires some security trolls to be her guard, which was our trivia question. Yep. I love that in the first story, a troll gets in and everyone panics and has to go back to their common rooms for safety, but in this story, it's perfectly safe to hire trolls to hang out right around all the kids. Well, I mean, obviously, the troll from the first year was a wild troll, and these are, like, professional trolls. Domesticated trolls. <laughs> yes, they're domestic trolls. <laughs> They've been trained properly. <laughs> sure, let's go with that. Yeah. But during all of this, Harry notices that the statue of the one-eyed witch is left unguarded. So it seems that Fred and George were right, and no one else knew there was a secret passageway there. Harry wonders if they should tell someone about it, but Ron doesn't think it's necessary since there's been no word on Honeydukes being broken into. Since the movie never showed the actual passageway Harry took to get to Honeydukes cellar, it clearly doesn't need to show that it's left unattended now. Yeah, not that big of a thing towards the main plot. Mm -hmm. The book also includes the fact that Ron's near-death experience made him an instant celebrity, and he enjoyed retelling the story in great detail. It would have been really fun to see Rupert showing this side of Ron. Like, the chance to have an adoring audience and boast a little bit. Right? Mm -hmm. I can kind of see why they didn't bother keeping it in. We are already well aware that Sirius is after Harry. We already know he's vicious. We already know he's gotten into the castle and escaped once. Yeah, so it's not like a second time adds anything specific to the plot that hasn't already been established. It does raise the question, why did Sirius Black run after Ron screamed? Harry wonders why he didn't just silence Ron and move on to Harry's bed, since he's already proven that he doesn't mind killing a bunch of innocent people. But he figures that he knew it would have been too hard to get out of the castle after Ron made all that noise. Or maybe... Just maybe, there's more to it than that. Which is pretty much the main purpose of this information. Just to create a little doubt around the situation. It's very subtle, though. Yeah. The book also shows Neville getting super punished for being the abysmally foolish person who wrote down the passwords and left them lying around. Yeah, poor Ickle Neville. He was banned from all the future Hogsmeade's visits, given detention, and forbidden to actually get the password. He had to stand outside the door until someone showed up to let him in. And this was with the security trolls present. I know, poor Ickle Neville. Oh. 
Then to top it all off, his grand sends him a howler during breakfast, and he just scoops it up and runs from the great hall. Not that that made much of a difference, since they could still hear his grand's voice shrieking about bringing shame on the whole family. Aww, poor Echo Neville. Seriously. Harry's so distracted by his sympathy for Neville. <laughs> sympathy for the Neville. <laughs> Pleased to meet you. Hope I'm not to blame. But what's puzzling me is the nature of my shame. Once again, it's the Just Keep Rolling Stones. <laughs> but anyways, speaking of distractions, Harry is so distracted that he doesn't immediately realize that he also has a letter. It's from Hagrid asking him and Ron to meet him for tea later that afternoon, around six, saying he will collect them from the castle as they are not allowed out on their own. This kind of brings it in line with the movie, but like we said, it's not really the same at all. But the movie scene does start out on Harry, Ron, and Hermione visiting with Hagrid, though it isn't a tea. And in the book, Hermione's not there. The movie scene is basically what would take place after this book chapter, but it is kind of combining information from the previous chapter, which is when the trio visit Hagrid and they find Buckbeak hanging out in his hut and learn that there's going to be a hearing. So it combines that with this section of the chapter and even a touch from the next chapter. Yeah, it basically consolidates Buckbeak's part of the storyline into one scene and takes place after the hearing has already happened. Hagrid is wearing the very hairy brown suit and that terrible tie that was described in the book. Hagrid's tie looks like it was made out of felt. <laughs> right? Seriously. It's pretty awful. Is Hagrid's suit what Bigfoot cuts off after No Shave November, maybe? Yes. <laughs> That's totally where Hagrid got his suit. Woven from Bigfoot hair. That's what it looks like. It's spot on to the book description, too. Because when Ron and Harry go with Hagrid for tea, they see a huge hairy brown suit and a very horrible yellow and orange tie hanging from the top of Hagrid's wardrobe, ready for the hearing. In the movie, he's got the pant legs rolled up and is standing in the lake skipping rocks. And I love that the rocks are like the size of my hand. They're big rocks. They're big old rocks. <laughs> I get that these shots are made to look visually appealing, but the way they have Harry, Ron, and Hermione standing so far apart just looks odd. Like, they should have put Hagrid to one side instead of in the middle, and then had Harry, Ron, and Hermione grouped together on the other side to balance the composition out. Why would they be standing so far away from one another? I actually didn't really mind this composition. Like, it was, I thought it was pretty aesthetically pleasing. I'm not knocking the composition, more the logistics of it. It just seems strange that they're standing so far apart. I don't think it seems all that strange. The only thing I think they maybe should have done is put Hermione on the rock on the one side instead of Harry, because Hermione was kind of on the outs with Ron and Harry at this point. Well, we don't really know that in the movie, but still, it would have kind of shown that a little bit, and then had Harry and Ron on the other side. But that's, I mean, I still liked it. I would have expected them to stay more grouped together. Yeah, but that's not the way Quran rocks, It's man. not. <laughs> but as Hagrid is skipping rocks, he tells the trio about the hearing and how Nazi von Douchebag I stood up convinced the committee Buckbeak was dangerous and asked for the worst. Ron thinks this means they're firing Hagrid, but Hagrid says he's not being fired and bursts into tears as he exclaims that Buckbeak's been sentenced to death. This information is shared in the book at the end of the chapter, so we'll talk about that later. As for the meeting with Hagrid, it was completely different, though it does serve to remind us that the hearing is coming up. And describe the awful suit to us. Mm -hmm. The actual purpose of this part of the chapter was for Hagrid to talk to Ron and Harry about Hermione. 
He tells them that she's lonely, has bitten off more than she can chew, cries a lot, but still made time to help him with Buckbeak's defense. The movie couldn't really include any of that, since there was no rift in the friendship due to a confiscated broom and the eaten rat was significantly downplayed. And Hermione definitely didn't help Hagrid with the defense in the movie, or he would have come up with better than, he's a good hippogriff, always cleans his feathers. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly why they shouldn't kill him. Keeps his feathers clean. Right? My understanding is that Jeffrey Dahmer bathed as well, so, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Harry and Ron end up feeling guilty that they didn't help with Buckbeak's defense too, but Hagrid is really only concerned about Hermione, saying that he thought they valued their friend more than broomsticks or rats. Ron says he wants her to get rid of the cat, and Hagrid points out that people can be a bit stupid about their pets. As Buckbeak spits ferret bones onto his pillow. I love this Funkle Hagrid moment. (laughs) I know it's not ultimately important to the story, especially since it all aligns with things that were omitted, but it's always nice to see Hagrid be a decent role model. Right, and just summing it up the way he does too, where he's like, they should value their friend more than broomsticks or rats. That just makes it yeah. hit home how ridiculous this argument is. Right, you're upset you know? over something pretty stupid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would be really sad that I lost my pet. Yeah. But it's still not Hermione's fault. Exactly. I mean... Yes, she definitely should have kept a better watch on her cat. Thank you, there's that. But I don't, like... <laughs> Rats weren't supposed to be at the castle anyway, so... True. You could turn it back around and blame Ron for bringing an illegal animal. Yeah. Slash man. (laughs) (laughs) But back to the story at hand. They then switch to talking about Quidditch, and after they finish tea with Hagrid, he walks them back to the castle, where they learn there is another Hogsmeade weekend. Ron wonders what Harry thinks, and Hermione speaks up from behind a stack of books telling Harry that she will tell Professor McGonagall about the map if he goes to Hogsmeade again. This part also doesn't align with the story the movie has been telling since movie Hermione wasn't really quite that concerned about the map. It also just widens the rift between her and Ron, who thinks that she just wants to get Harry expelled. Which is really ridiculous. Right? Come on, guys. Honestly. But before she can say anything else, Crookshanks jumps into her lap, and after seeing the look on Ron's face, she just grabs the cat and bolts upstairs. Once she's out of earshot, Harry agrees to go to Hogsmeade, but says he's going to wear the invisibility cloak. You had mentioned before that the previous Hogsmeade scene combined multiple book Hogsmeade scenes together, and this is one of the scenes that the movie already basically showed. Yeah. On that Saturday morning, Harry made a show of saying goodbye to Ron before heading to the One-Eyed Witch statue. He ends up running into Neville right by it and can't leave right away. While Harry's trying to figure out how to get rid of Neville... Snape shows up, wondering why the two are meeting there. He tells them to head back to the Gryffindor Tower, and they leave without arguing. Harry manages to shake Neville at the Fat Lady by giving him the password and pretending like he forgot his vampire essay in the library. Uh, Harry gave Neville the password. McGonagall's gonna be pissed. And he's being super reckless, sneaking off to Hogsmeade the way he is? McGonagall would be pissed if she knew. This could totally warrant a severe student smackdown without even getting her out of bed. Right? But Harry isn't thinking about that. He's thinking about getting to Hogsmeade. So he pulls the Marauder's Map back out and sees that Snape is back in his office. He heads back to the statue and runs through the passage to meet up with Ron. Under his invisibility cloak, Harry carefully navigates the crowds while they explore the post office, buy a bunch of stuff at Zonko's, and then head to the Shrieking Shack. This is where it's similar to the Hogsmeade scene we already saw in the movie, though there are obvious differences. 
Namely, the fact that the movie had Hermione present. It also took place in warmer weather, so there wasn't any snow all around. Harry is actually feeling a little bit warm and considers taking his cloak off, but then overhears Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle. Malfoy is talking shit about Hagrid when he notices Ron, who appears to be there by himself, and makes a comment about how Weasley would love to live there and saying he heard his family all sleep in one room. The movie took that line straight from the book, where Malfoy doesn't use the lame-ass Weaselby insult. Right? So the movie kept the spirit of this scene the same. Mm-hmm. Malfoy was being a bon douche, and Harry invisibly gets revenge on him. Aside from Hermione being added into the movie, there are some other differences. For one thing, Ron was well aware that Harry was there, and Harry even whispers to Ron to leave it to him before he starts terrorizing Malfoy and his goons. But even if Harry didn't give Ron the heads up, book Ron would never have freaked out the way that movie Ron did. I know. It's ridiculous. It is. Also, in the book, since there's no snow, Harry throws mud at the three Slytherins. The original three Slytherins, not the Slim Shady sub. Yeah. And Ron just casually says, very haunted up here, isn't it? Which I love way more than making him a whiny bitch. Oh, yeah. But the biggest difference between the two scenes is the fact that at one point, Crab tries to lunge at Ron and Harry sticks his leg out to trip him. This ends up tugging his cloak off his face and Malfoy gets a good look at him before running off. Harry also has to run off to get back to the castle as fast as he can before Malfoy tells anyone. He sprints back through the tunnel, leaves his cloak hidden in the passageway, and slips out just before Snape approaches. Once again, we are coming to a parallel between the book and the movie that gets the same information across, though it comes about it in completely different ways. Because at this part of the movie, Harry has a similar run-in with Snape. Yes, similar, though still quite different. Mm -hmm. Snape leads Harry down to his office and tells him that Malfoy has just been to see him with a very strange story that involves Potter's head floating in midair outside the Shrieking Shack. Harry tries to play it like Malfoy's hallucinating, but Snape just isn't having any of it. In the movie, after their conversation with Hagrid by the lake, it cuts to Harry sitting up in bed looking at the Marauder's map and eating a snack. He is briefly distracted by Ron waking up with a whimper saying spiders want him to tap dance. And I gotta say, you tell those spiders, Ron, may be my favorite added line. Oh, I it's love that. It's pretty funny. I love it. Oh my god. I also love how Ron is literally back to sleep the second his head hits the pillow. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure he's supposed to actually be awake before then. <laughs> well, yeah. But Harry returns his focus to the map and sees the name Peter Pettigrew on it. He remembers the Pettigrew is supposed to be dead and decides that this is one of those moments that he must activate one of his superpowers and go meddling. Well, yeah, there's no way he could ever see a supposed dead person on a map and just ignore it. Though that's definitely not how it happened in the book. Nope, but it is how it happened in the movie. The scene cuts to Harry wandering the halls at nighttime, sans invisibility cloak, because why bother wearing the thing that will help you meddle undetected? Like we said before, no one has ever tried to put Harry in Ravenclaw. That's for sure. The Gryffindor just blatantly wanders the halls at night with his bright-ass lit wand, shining it around in the portrait's faces. Though the fact that they made the paintings in Hogwarts more interactive in this film really just made me happy, in a way. Like, it adds to the feeling that Hogwarts isn't just a location in this series, it's an actual character. 
Yeah, it's definitely a fun touch of magic to the film. Mm-hmm. But according to the map, Peter Pettigrew is headed right towards Harry, but he can't see anything. Do you think that Harry could hear Scabbers running through the hall? Because, I mean, those are definitely not human walking patterns. Probably not. Animals can be eerily silent, and it's not like he's a big animal. It's just frustrating, though, because I just want to yell, Look down, dumbass! Ugh! Though, I do crack up every time his reflection in the mirror scares the shit out of him, so there's that. I always liked that bit, too. (laughs) Okay, so... Harry sees Snape around the corner behind him while he's wiping the map and turning off his wand. But that boy must have sprinted hard to get right up on Harry like he did. Because he just popped out of nowhere, man. I just imagine him doing a very silent, bat-like, billowy flounce up the hall. (laughs) Yeah, that tracks for Snape. But this is where the somewhat similar to the book confrontation between Harry and Snape starts. Snape wants to know what he's doing wandering the corridors at night, and Harry tells him that he's sleepwalking. Which, again, makes me think of that video with the little girl who got caught turning her light back on and then immediately (laughs) pretended to be sleepwalking. Yeah, that was so cute. Aw. She's probably a Ravenclaw. Not Harry, though. Definitely not Harry. Nope. At this point in both the book and the movie, Snape tells Harry that he's extraordinarily like his father. In the book, he calls them both arrogant, and in both, he specifically uses the term strut. My dad didn't strut. And nor do I, Harry responds struttily. Which is actually straight from the book. Though the book also has a caps lock Harry appearance, who tells Snape to shut up about my dad. He tells him that Dumbledore told him the truth about how his dad saved Snape's life, and Snape sneers and asks if Dumbledore told him the circumstances, saying that Harry's dad played a prank and was saving his own skin as much as he was saving Snape's. He then tells Harry to turn out his pockets. In the movie, Harry does give some extra sass, telling Snape that he'd appreciate it if he would lower his wand. Then Snape tells him to turn out his pockets. In both, Harry pulls out the Marauder's map. In the book, he also has to pull out all of the Zonko's things he bought. He lies and says that Ron brought them all back for him the last time. Here's hoping that they don't have time and date stamped receipts at Zonko's. Yeah, too bad he didn't leave that in the secret passage, too. Snape, of course, doesn't believe that's how Harry got them, but moves on to the Marauder's Map, wondering what it is. In both, Harry says that it's a spare bit of parchment. Oh yeah, just a spare bit of parchment that is intricately folded like no one has ever folded paper before. In the book, Snape moves to throw it into the fire, causing Harry to panic and say no! Which they couldn't really include in the movie since they were in a corridor, not Snape's office. He tells Harry to open it and points his wand at it, saying, Reveal your secrets. Writing begins to appear on the map and Snape demands that he read it out to him. Harry reads, Messrs. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs offer their compliments to Professor Snape and request that he keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Dude. Snape got owned by a spare bit of parchment. In the book, he specifically says that he suspects it's a way to get to Hogsmeade without passing Dementors, and then touches his wand to it, saying, reveal your secrets. But nothing happens. He then says, show yourself, and nothing continues to happen. He then says, Professor Severus Snape, master of this school, commands you to yield the information you conceal. And then Snape gets owned by a spare bit of parchment. 
Bam! Actually, <laughs> the book has the marauders all insult him individually. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mooney presents his compliments to Professor Snape and begs him to keep his abnormally large nose out of other people's business. Which is the one the movie chose to use, obviously. And that's fun, too, considering who Mr. Mooney is. Not that the movie tells you that, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But then Mr. Prongs agrees with Mr. Mooney and would like to add that Professor Snape is an ugly git. (laughs) Mr. Padfoot would like to register his astonishment that an idiot like that ever became a professor. And Mr. Wormtail bids Professor Snape a good day and advises him to wash his hair the slime ball quadruple owned by a spare bed of parchment bam 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 (laughs) snape immediately walks to his fire grabs a fistful of glittering powder which i assume is flu powder and throws it into the flames calling for lupin and saying he wants a word at this point in the movie professor lupin just conveniently strolls around the corner and happens upon harry and snape just in time for a very similar word snape wants to know if lupin is out for a little walk in the moonlight. Like, oh shit, I think the castle has a sass leak. <laughs> I mean, that would totally explain Hermione's cheek all film. She must have <laughs> inhaled too much sass. The leak must be in the library. That must be it. <laughs> also, laid back Lupin and his cardigan is such a lovely sight. Like, I just want to snuggle him. Give him some scritchins. Yeah, see, now you just made that weird. Who's a good boy? Who's a good boy? Lupin's a good boy. Okay, that's that's not helping at all. <laughs> Whew, just keep rolling, please. In both, Snape tells Lupin about the map and says that it's clearly full of dark magic. Lupin says that he doubts that. It looks as though it's merely a piece of parchment that insults anyone who tries to read it. He suspects Harry got it from a joke shop. In the movie, he specifically says he suspects it's a Zonko's product and holds on to it, saying he will investigate any hidden qualities it may possess. He asks Harry to go with him, and the two walk away, apparently into the pitch darkness, because sure. And then when Snape gets yelled at by a painting, he just flicks his wand off and billows into the darkness. Like, do they have night vision? Do they eat a fuck ton of carrots? How do they see where they're going in the dark? What the hell? Those are some very good questions that are not answered in the book because that's not how it happened in the book. (laughs) For one thing, as we already mentioned, they're in Snape's office, not the hall. For another, it's still daytime. Snape makes a comment about Harry getting it directly from the manufacturers, which prompts Lupin to ask Harry if he knows Mr. Wormtail or any of those people. I love it because he does. He totally does. Spoilers, but right? (laughs) Then at this point in the book, Lupin says it looks like a Zonko's product, and Ron comes bursting into Snape's office, declaring that he gave Harry all that stuff ages ago. Lupin takes the map from Snape and asks for a word about his vampire essay with Harry and Ron and leads them to the empty entrance hall. In the movie, Ron obviously isn't there, and Lupin takes Harry to the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom. And I want to know where the hell so much light is coming from. Because if that were the moon, shouldn't Lupin be wolfing out right now? It must not have been the full moon, but just close enough to be really bright? I guess, but that's a bright motherfucking moon, man. Aside from taking place in different locations and Ron being present in the book, the conversation between Harry and Lupin is fairly similar. Yeah, as usual, the book includes more details. Lupin cuts Harry off before he can say anything, saying he doesn't want any explanations. He knows it's a map knows it was confiscated by Filch many years ago, 
and he doesn't know how Harry got it, but says that he's astounded he didn't hand it in. In the movie, he simply says that he doesn't know how he got the map and is astounded he didn't hand it in. So the implication that he knows it's a map is clearly there. But how the fuck is Harry not curious as to how Lupin knows what the map does and how to work it? Well, we already know that movie Harry has been super conditioned to not ask questions. Mm, True. In the book, he at least asked Lupin why Snape would think he got it from the manufacturers. And Lupin says that the map makers would want to lure him out of school. This makes Harry follow up with another question, wondering if Lupin knows them. And he says, we've met. They've met. I love it. He doesn't say that in the movie, though, of course. He asks if it occurred to Harry that the map in the hands of Sirius Black is a map to Harry. What I want to know is, does it occur to no one that that map in the hands of Harry Potter is a map to Sirius Black? Well, only if he's on the grounds. Which he has been at least twice. Just saying. In the book, he tells Harry that he can't make him take Sirius Black seriously, but he would have thought that what he hears when the Dementors are nearby would have had more of an effect on him. He says, your parents gave their lives to keep you alive, Harry, a poor way to repay them, gambling their sacrifice for a bag of magic tricks. Obviously, the movie couldn't say this, since the trip to Zonko's wasn't involved. Instead, Lupin just reminds Harry that his parents sacrificed themselves to save him, and gambling their sacrifice by wandering around the castle unprotected is a pretty poor way to repay them. In both the book and the movie, Harry feels pretty bad at this point. That's kind of the idea. (laughs) Yeah. In the book, he and Ron walk back to the common room, past the one-eyed witch, but Harry doesn't dare get his invisibility cloak. In the movie, Lupin tells Harry to get back to bed, telling him not to take any detours, saying, If you do, I shall know. How does Harry just let this go? How does he not ask how Lupin will know? He's been conditioned. Ugh! The satchels of assholes did a real number on him. It's just so frustrating, though. But before Harry leaves the Defense Against the Dark Arts classroom, he turns back to Lupin and tells him that he doesn't think the map always works, because earlier he saw someone on it that he knows to be dead, Peter Pettigrew. Lupin says, that's not possible. Which, yeah, kind of goes towards Harry's point of the map not working. I think there's a lot of interesting theories around this. We got into a conversation about it. I think Dave started it, or maybe Quincy with one of his memes, because there is a meme about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one where it says that Fred and George would have seen Ron sleeping with Peter Pettigrew on the map and never said anything about it. Yeah, that's the one. Mm-hmm. But it was only in the movie that Pettigrew showed up on the map. That's not how it happened in the book. Lupin does later mention that he saw Pettigrew on the map, and I have my own theory about this, but I'd love to get our Keeper's thoughts on Pettigrew showing up on the map or not. Was Lupin the only one who could see him because they were both creators of the map? Mm, that's a thought. Or maybe... Pettigrew changed back into a human for just a few minutes to stretch his human-y legs. And that's when Lupin saw him, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, that's a really good Potter pondering, though. And since we don't have any new actors to talk about for this section, we can move right to it. Almost. There's one last part to the book chapter. Oh. Where Hermione meets up with Ron and Harry as they return to the common room. Based on the look on her face, he thinks that she heard what happened and is worried that she told Professor McGonagall. Ron just flat out asks her if she's been to tell on them, and she says no. Her lip trembles, and she says that she just thought they should know that Hagrid lost his case, and Buckbeak is going to be executed. Which is what we learned at the start of the movie section, just in a completely different way. Yep. Now we can move on to the Potter pondering. (laughs) Ha ha! Which is, 
What are your thoughts about how the Marauder's map works? You know, book compared to movie. The fact that Lupin saw him in the book, but apparently Fred, George, and Harry never did, etc. Things like that. Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. We really look forward to reading them. This will bring us to our sorting hat story, which is from Rebecca. She writes, I'm a Ravenclaw. My Patronus is an Arctic fox and my wand is 11 and a half, laurel wood with a dragon heartstring core. How I got into Harry Potter is kind of funny. I was 40 and my stepbrother was reading the first book to his kids. Let me say I have nothing in common with him, so a recommendation from him was a death knell for anything. So I resisted. I got a copy of the first book for Christmas that year. I sat down and read it in one go. I loved it. Loved it. This was a couple years after the book was published. I went out and saw the film. I loved that too. And then in February, I moved from the U.S. to the U.K. to marry my English fiancé, and I've lived here ever since. I bought Prisoner of Azkaban secondhand, and my husband bought me the rest of the series as they came out. It was quite recently that I realized I didn't have Chamber of Secrets. I have since rectified this. I love the series. I love the films. It's a comforting place. I'm currently buying the whole book series in Ravenclaw colors. She also shared a picture of her wand that she spent a week carving with her Dremel out of actual laurel wood, and it looks amazing. Wow. Rebecca, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and the picture of your wand. That's awesome. Thank you. And if any of our other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media since the pin post is now used for the weekly Potter ponderings. That'll bring us to this week's trivia question, which is, what is Professor Flitwick teaching in charms class when Hermione forgets to go? The prize for the first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag doing too much, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. If you would like to support us as a patron for extra perks, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. You can also go to our website at justkeeprolling.com to check out our Just Keep Rolling and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. And join us next week when we talk about Chapter 15, the Quidditch final, and the not-so-corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. rolling.